Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. Today, where we live, we talk about pregnancy. I had my first child in January of 2011. It was a very cold and snowy winter in Connecticut. There was so much snow, in fact, that my husband had to climb up on the roof to shovel some of that snow off when we came home from the hospital. You can imagine my anxiety about that with the newborn. It was an exhausting and isolating winter as a first-time mother, but I can't imagine going through all of that and dealing with the fears of COVID on top of it all. Today, we want to hear from you. Are you expecting your first child? How are you managing and who is supporting you? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome our guest to the show on Zoom, Alexis Aroni. She's a mother from Cromwell, Connecticut. Alexis, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Dr. Audrey Miriam. She's an OBGYN and assistant professor in maternal fetal medicine at Yale. Dr. Miriam, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to start with you, Dr. Miriam, because I'm curious how it all worked out in the pandemic when it started. Uh, someone that has been helping uh, expectant mothers uh, for part of your uh, career, what went through your mind uh, when you thought about some of the care that you'd be able to give them when we were all just learning about this new virus? Um, so when this all started um, back, you know, when it really hit us in March, we luckily I work with a big team at Yale and we were able to kind of band together and um, really restructure the way we provide care to try to keep our patients safe and keep us safe and then still be available to provide care because just because of the pandemic state doesn't mean that women were going to stop having babies and um, we still knew that we needed to see these patients and provide care. So um, luckily being part of that institution, we were able to provide care um, remotely. We were able to restructure the way um, that we did deliveries in the hospital um, and really things kept changing at a very rapid pace as we got new information. Um, and we wanted to be able to quickly distribute that not only to our other healthcare providers in the system, but also to our patients. Mm. Personally, was it a time of hang high anxiety for you, Dr. Miriam? Uh, it definitely was. I, you know, I'm still um, fairly early on in my career. I'm about four years in now at Yale and um, definitely had never expected to deal with anything like this and definitely had never dealt like with anything like this before. Um, so uh, I luckily have a very supportive husband um, who was very understanding during all of this and um, with my need to be away and for us to isolate and kind of the constantly changing situation um, and constantly changing work schedule. And so there, you know, there was all the personal anxiety plus um, I just felt so bad for all of our patients that were dealing with this as well and really wanting to be there for them. 
In March, a lot of unknowns when we think back to COVID, but with pregnancy, what did you know then about how this could affect women and how that has changed now, Dr. Mary? Yeah, in the beginning, we really had no idea. Kind of the last big virus and, and scared to, to really hit the pregnancy community was Zika before this. And that, um, you know, although did have some maternal effects, was really more about the effects of the virus to the developing infant. And so we didn't know at first if this was a virus that was going to act the same way as Zika. We didn't know if this was going to be more similar to the flu and that pregnant women were going to be more at risk um, of contracting it and become um, have more severe illness with this virus. Um, so we, we just had a lot of unknowns and, and luckily um, kind of the data sharing around the world about experiences in pregnancy um, happened um, kind of more smoothly and more quickly than I'd seen in the past. And so, you know, we were able to hear from other countries and what their experiences were that had been hit with higher numbers before we, we had. And, um, you know, we were able to kind of use that data and, and, and use that to make our best judgments about how to care for women. What were some of the questions you were getting from patients? Because so many of us were isolating at home at the time. Did they feel like they really had to be in a bubble to protect them and their baby? I think patients did, and I, I will, you know, pay great tribute to the to the women that were pregnant during that time because I think they've a lot of the pregnant women really took that stay at home and social distancing and isolation orders very seriously um, because our rates among the pregnant community, um, you know, were kind of as expected given the population rates, but we didn't um, see anything. We didn't see like huge jumps um, in pregnancy um, with that initial wave and. Um, so they were isolating, they were wearing masks, they were practicing good hand hygiene. And, um, you know, we, we were just there to distribute the information as, as we were getting it and, and provide the information to the patients as, as soon as we could. You can join our conversation as we talk about pregnancy, especially in a pandemic, uh, how you and your family are coping uh, with some of the challenges of, of staying safe while also dealing maybe with a first-time pregnancy. And there's a lot to learn uh, those first few months of being pregnant. You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Dr. Audrey Miriam is here, an OBGYN and assistant professor of maternal fetal medicine at Yale. And as I mentioned, we have a Connecticut mom with us as well, Alexis Aroni. So Alexis, let's go uh, to you when we think about the start of this pandemic. At what point, what were you, where were you in your pregnancy and how did you deal with this, this new layer of stress? Yes. Um, so I actually found out that I was pregnant in the beginning of February. I think it was like the very first day. And so, you know, it was just a regular pregnancy um the beginning and then COVID hit the next the very next month in march and so um you know as i started thinking about like how this was going to progress and you know hearing that doctor's offices and things were moving to virtual some things were even closed i was worried like how was i going to get in prenatal visits and how would that play out um, so it was just a lack of information. There was a lack of control. Um, I had no idea, you know, how it was going to to play out with, you know, receiving prenatal care. So that was pretty stressful. Mm. And this was your second child, Alexis? Yes, this was my second pregnancy. And, so um, you know, I actually couldn't help but feel very sorry for women who were experiencing pregnancy for the first time going through this because, um, you know, they weren't able to have 
partners and spouses in the in the appointment rooms with them and um you know having been through this a second time you know i i said okay i i got this on my own um it would have been nice to have my partner with me of course but i just felt so terrible for a woman going through this the first time you know that that this is how their experience would have went mm. yeah i was thinking about that too i know when i was pregnant with my second child i was thinking okay I, got, I have an idea how this is going to work. I think my body now understands the process as well. But to not have that knowledge at all and then to have COVID on top of it, it is a, a time of high anxiety. Uh, so what were some of your biggest fears, Alexis, during this time? Well, one of my biggest fears was, um, you know, that, that COVID kind of reduced the joy of pregnancy and delivery. Um, and so, you know, being being pregnant, during a pandemic was, you know, added stress on top of the stress that women endure during a pregnancy. The, the cortisol hormone is just released, you know, times four during pregnancy. And, um, you know, I didn't really do well with staying inside. And I mean, I had to do it, but I didn't really like doing that. I like to be social and, you know, get out and, you know, dress the bump cute and just, you know, experience the joys of pregnancy and, you know, being around family and friends and having it be an exciting time. And so one of my, you know, most stressful times was, you know, just getting through that initial period until we kind of found a groove with, you know, video chatting with family and, you know, doing things virtual. Then I kind of felt a little bit better about, about everything. Dr. Miriam, how do you respond to a little bit of Alexis's story and the point she made about, you know, the the joy of being pregnant was really diminished um, in a pandemic? I mean, I I definitely feel for Alexis and all these other moms, um, especially first time moms that were going through this during the pandemic, because I think the things that you normally look forward to, like baby showers and going out and shopping for baby clothes and decorating a nursery, those were definitely things that had to be put on hold. And then Alexis is right with the visits, um, you know, even still we don't, we aren't having partners um, come into the visits um, just because of um, fear of spread and small office rooms and everything. So we've had to adapt and do the best we can. And we feel, you know, it, it hurts our, our hearts too, to have these partners kind of just have to be on FaceTime either from home or from work or, um, you know, to watch the ultrasound or to, to have questions answered in the visits um, and to not be able to actually meet these these partners and support people until um, patients come in in labor. So, you know, I definitely feel for them in their isolation in the visits and in their isolation at home um, with all of this. So tell us more about how you and your team uh, worked with uh, your patients. So when you're pregnant, um, the frequency of the appointments uh, becomes uh, more frequent as you get closer to delivery. And so how that all worked with uh, telehealth and you know checking up on women and their, their blood pressure and making sure that uh, the, the baby's size is correlated with the, the time of, of how, where they were in their trimester. Yeah, so those are all very important things. And, you know, women touch the healthcare system so much more frequently in pregnancy than than typically otherwise. So we had to kind of balance what was a safe number of visits um, and what was a reasonable expectation for patients to come out of the house and feel safe with that. So, you know, we, we tried to alternate visits between them coming into the office and then being telehealth. Um, we, for ultrasounds where we could, we would space them out, um, a little bit, um, but we were definitely not canceling anything that was needed or needed to happen every week or a couple of times a week, um, as some, some procedures in pregnancy do. Um, we were able to, 
um, get patients um, home blood pressure cuffs, which has been a big help um, throughout all this telehealth because blood pressure is one of the things we commonly worry about, especially towards the end of pregnancy. So to be able to do those visits and have patients have that blood pressure cuff there, take their vitals um, themselves for the visit and then still have that face, you know, kind of that thing that we're all used to now, but was so foreign in the beginning that that video visit um, through a screen, um, you know, was kind of how we got by um, and, and did the best we could. Alexis, how did you do with, uh, again, maybe monitoring your own blood pressure, making sure that you were uh, able to give the right uh, vitals uh, to your provider? So actually, um, I felt more comfortable going into the office to make sure that, you know, everything was where it was supposed to be. Um, so I actually didn't have a home blood pressure cuff, um, contrary to um, I forgot Dr. Miriam had said, and, um, so I basically just went into the office and, you know, wore a double mask and made sure that all precautions were followed. We had to get our temperature taken and, um, you know, everybody was just in their gear. Um, so I was, I was in person because that's how I felt. I wanted to monitor my pregnancy best and my providers were okay with that. Mm. You can join our conversation as we talk more about uh, how uh, parents, especially new parents, uh, handled pregnancy in a pandemic. The number 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Gayatri is calling from South Windsor. Go ahead. Gayatri, can you hear me? Hello. Oh, yeah, I can hear you. Uh, thanks for um, you know taking my call. Um, so my, um, I have two boys. The second boy was actually born on 16th of March, 2020. That's like a year from uh, yeah, a year back next month for sure. So uh, it was the day of the lockdown and uh, there were no protocols um, in place. And I think there was a lot of confusion in the hospitals. And um, we had we didn't have too much of a tough time in comparison to some of the other parents out there because we had family to help out and some of the friends also, you know, within um, isolation and everything, they helped out with some food and everything. But um, it was it was quite an experience for us. Mm. Well, everything went okay, Gayatri? Everything did. Um, we did have to stay back in the hospital. Um, you know, of course, my husband could actually uh, come into the labor room and everything. Uh, however, I know that, you know, uh, things have changed in the past, um, uh, you know, soon after the lockdown was set in place and, uh, you know, the rules have changed and all of that. So and, and I'm just thankful that, you know, things didn't go south with, in, in my case. Well, thank you for sharing your story. We're glad to hear that you and your family are well. She raises an interesting point, Dr. Miriam. So far, we've been talking about prenatal care, but once the baby is born, postnatal care is just as important. I'm wondering how that is navigated in a pandemic. Um, so we've taken a lot of the same approach that we did prenatally. And, and to Alexis's point, um, you know, we did have patients that preferred to get seen in the office and we would accommodate them as well um, and, and really just tried to make it work. And we've done the same thing in the postpartum period. So, um, you know, after delivery, women, um, can, depending on how they deliver, can stay in the hospital anywhere from one to four days, typically, if everything is, is going well. Um, we... It, we had patients sometimes requesting to leave on the earlier side. And if they were medically cleared, we would accommodate that. But we would also then follow it up with um, a visit either in person in the office or a telehealth visit. 
shortly after discharge. Um, and again, we would try to get women blood pressure cuffs where we could for to monitor their blood pressure at home after they delivered as well. Um, and then the same with the postpartum visit, the routine visit at six weeks, we, we really pushed to have those in the office still because we think it's important to do those in person and, and really um, take a deeper dive into how mom is coping. And, and I've noticed that we've spent a lot more time as providers um, given since COVID talking about how they're coping and making sure moms can if they can take time for themselves and how they're also caring for themselves as well as a newborn, given the social isolation and the, and the need to not have, you know, a, a bunch of people in the home helping out. Mm. Alexis, can I ask you uh, about the day your son was born? How did it go? Absolutely. So um, being my second, I actually had him pretty fast. Um, you know, I went into labor in the morning and then he was born just four and a half, five hours later. Um, so everything kind of went super, super fast. Um, there was actually a scare in the hospital when I had got there. Um, and the room that they had put me in actually wasn't really clean. And so we had to tell them, you know, there's somebody else's stuff in here. You know, this can't be happening. It's a pandemic. And, um, you know, I'm at high risk right now. And it was just concerning. Um, so after that, <laughs> that played out and they ended up putting me in a different room. You know, it was kind of smooth sailing from there. It was weird to wear a mask. I actually felt it was almost unfair because every single person around me was geared up and masked up and I'm the one that's having to push. And, um, you know, I even like had my mask down and they were just kind of ignoring it, but it was, it was crazy. Um, you know, afterwards the hospital restrictions on visitation, um, was just, you know, you couldn't have any visitors. So, um, I just felt kind of isolated, you know, after I had my son, there was no, you know, surprise with balloons, with family, you know, being there for you. Um, and then I just started worrying about postpartum depression. I know this is kind of, you know, veering away from the question you had, but I, just the whole delivery and after delivery and, you know, being released home was certainly the most concerning for me, you know, more than prenatal care. And that's important. You mentioned not having that kind of support, especially with family. Usually everyone's coming over to visit and, and hold the baby and help you. But with COVID, not being able to do that uh, can be really hard. And that's something that's especially needed. Uh, Dr. Miriam, how do you counsel your patients through that? Um, so you, we've been paying particular attention to it before they go home. Um, you know, we've always provided counseling on postpartum depression and mood changes in the postpartum period and, and concerning signs and symptoms to look out for and provide that education to the patient in addition to whatever support person is with them in the hospital, because um, hopefully they'll also be um, with the patient at home um, for some time. And then for patients that, that do have, you know, a history of um, either depression or postpartum depression or any kind of mood disorder, we definitely would do a follow-up visit um, either via telehealth or in person to check in and see how they're doing within a week or two of them going home. Um, we are lucky in our office to also have a social worker who um, is able to connect with patients in the office and remotely um, and offer referrals to community um, mental health providers if needed. Um, which a lot of providers are doing some telehealth visits, which um, some women have found helpful in this mm -hmm. time. You can join us again as we talk about pregnancy in the pandemic, 888-720-9677. We'll take more of your calls uh, after the break. But I want to thank Cromwell mother, Alexis Aroni, for calling for joining us today to talk about uh, her experience. Alexis, for uh, parents out there or expecting parents, uh, any advice that you have from them? 
that you know you'll get through it it's not um it's not as scary um the providers definitely know what they're talking about and at this point in the pandemic being almost a year in you know there is a good a good grasp on things so just to stay strong well thank you alexis for your time today we appreciate it thank you Dr. Miriam will stay with us and coming up, we'll hear from another doctor who has cared for pregnant women during the pandemic and also questions about the vaccine, especially for pregnant women. We want to hear from you, too. Join us. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. Today we're talking about pregnancy in a pandemic. Um, my guests on Zoom, Dr. Audrey Miriam, an OBGYN and assistant professor in maternal fetal medicine at Yale. And joining us now also on Zoom, Dr. Heather Lipkind, associate professor of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive sciences at maternal fetal medicine at Yale University. I wanted to take a quick call, Zoe from East Hartford. Zoe, go ahead. Sorry, can you hear Hi, me? Hi, Lucy. I, I can. Can you hear me? Yep, go ahead. Uh, thank you, Colin, for kind of covering this topic. Uh, my question stems from, I'm a, I'm a first-time mother-to-be. Um, I am currently 38 weeks. I'm going to be, you know, going into delivery sooner rather than later. And I am just curious, kind of, what are the current numbers or concerns regarding the vaccine. I mean, we've received very little information. Um, I don't know if there's any new information out there. I try to keep up with it as much as possible. But, you know, I have family out of state that's going to be trying to get vaccinated before they come to see the baby for the first time. And so it's just kind of a waiting game. Mm, yeah, I understand. And Zoe, first off, I, I wish you luck since you're so close uh, to the finish line. But Dr. Lipkind, uh, you could probably answer Zoe's question because uh, you know this uh, topic very well uh, with your work at Yale. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Zoe, is your question about being pregnant and getting the vaccine or what the status is of people actually getting the vaccine? So I think more um, being pregnant and getting the vaccine and the concerns you know, surrounding, there's obviously very little information. And I don't think that we have much about kind of what would potentially um, happen to the to the infants. But I was also just kind of pointing out that it's really difficult being a first time mom and having to wait to see your family because they're waiting to get vaccinated. Yeah, it's such it's such a hard thing to do. And, um, you know, there's a lot of information out there. So what we really try and do when we talk to women about getting the vaccine is to talk about the risks and benefits given their specific setting, their level of exposure and the information that's out there. Um, and it's individualized with every patient. So you can imagine we spend a lot of time in the office talking about this with women who have similar fears um, and thoughts about it. So far, they're collecting data on the vaccine, including pregnant women. And um, a number of pregnant women have gotten the vaccine because it, in the United States, you know, it was offered to pregnant women. Um, and we think that probably um, it's, you know, we're not sure about safety in pregnant women. That's what you were particularly asking about. There have been some pregnant women in the um, vaccine trials that got pregnant um, after the study started. 
and they're being followed and delivering. And then a number of healthcare workers have gotten, um, you know, the vaccine while pregnant across the country. Thousands of women that have registered, and we're looking at follow-up data for them as well. Um, we, what we do know is that COVID can cause some really serious complications in pregnancy. And so for someone who's higher risk, who's exposed to COVID, we talk about that. You know, the, the risks with the vaccine aren't fully known, but they did do animal studies that were um, shown to cause no harm to the fetuses. Um, and again, thus far, we do think that there are protective antibodies that come from women having COVID that cross the placenta and go to the mom. So, you know, this is yet to be studied, but it is possible that getting the vaccine will also help protect the babies against COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so we're learning and it's a work in progress and it's a conversation for each woman. And we really do try and take all that into account when we talk to women about getting the vaccine. Dr. Lipkind, have you treated mothers that have contracted COVID and, and what was their experience? Yeah, so I think this is, you know, it's such an unusual circumstance because I've treated many women that have gotten COVID. Um, I took care of one of the first women at Yale that got COVID and uh, unfortunately she lost a pregnancy. And we, you know, all, as Dr. Miriam was saying, we were all bounded together to really try and understand. And we have some researchers at Yale and we found and this is very rare, but COVID in the placenta um, and some placental changes that came from this COVID disease and the woman got very, very sick. Um, and a couple other of these cases have been reported. And, you know, we've taken care of women who were in the ICU. Some women do completely fine, but, you know, some women with COVID don't do well, which is why we're really seriously considering a vaccine for people who are in a, a risk of getting exposed. It must be frustrating uh, when we know each state has different protocols of, of who is eligible to get the vaccine, uh, Dr. Lipkin. I mean, yes. <laughs> you know, I have children who are in the school system. and I know Connecticut's doing as the best it can, but I want all the educators vaccinated. You know, I'm very good friends with a lot of teachers. My husband is at home and he um, isn't vaccinated. He's not a healthcare worker, you know, so... I just think about, you know, I'm the one going to the grocery store now. I'm still taking all the necessary precautions because we don't know if you're vaccinated 100% if you can still spread COVID. With So that answers the question about relatives. You know, we're still recommending wearing a mask, washing hands, practicing all the social distancing, even if you've been vaccinated. But it's hard to see, you know, so many of my friends and colleagues, I, I really want them to be vaccinated as well. If that's what they want. You can join our conversation as we talk about pregnancy and the pandemic, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Dana's calling in from West Hartford. Dana, go ahead. Hi, thank you for having me. I am, can you hear me? Yep, go ahead. Yes, um, I am a first-time mom. I am actually 26 weeks today. Um, this pandemic has been especially difficult. Sorry. Um as we struggled with infertility for over two and a half years. Um, and then this past summer we did IVF. And I mean, all of the visits were either virtual at the beginning when we were going through the consultation process, or I was by myself for the majority of the, um, the visits overall. Um, so it's been challenging. Um, I have been fortunate to have my close knit sort of bubble 
of family who lives nearby, but that's pretty much the only people I see besides my coworkers. Um, I'm a teacher, which I think makes things um, especially challenging for me. I'm in a hybrid setting. Um, and so just overall, not only first-time moms, but also first-time moms, excuse me, who have struggled um, with infertility. So it has been very challenging. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine, Dana, and I, I wish I could give you a hug. I can I can hear how this has been a challenging time for you. It's a scary time, especially uh, with COVID. And I'm wondering if Dr. Miriam or Dr. Lipkin um, have some suggestions for Dana as she you know, continues with her pregnancy and is dealing with all of these extra stressors. Dr. Miriam. Yeah, Dana, I, you know, I definitely feel for you. Um, given this situation and, you know, going through infertility treatments is a stressful um, part of pregnancy, can be a stressful part of pregnancy anyway, and to have the COVID pandemic lumped on top of that, um, I can only imagine how, how much more stressful that's been. Um, you, in terms of doing the best you can, I mean, being a teacher, it's it's definitely high risk. You know, the vaccine is definitely something I would talk to your, your provider about. But again, like Dr. Lipkin said, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, all the, the safety precautions go out the window once you've, you've been fully vaccinated. Um, but doing the best you can with reaching out to the people that are in your bubble, with um, reaching out through Zoom, using all the social media platforms you can to, to stay in touch with people that are not able to stay inside your bubble. Um, and then also looking into some of the telehealth options just for, um, you know, kind of some mental health services, I think can be really important for women, not that you need a diagnosis to, to talk to anybody, but this is a very stressful time for a lot of people. And, and sometimes just doing talk therapy, um, even in telehealth sessions can be very helpful. And I, I've had a lot of patients who have had a lot of success and a lot of, um, um, improvement in their, in their mood and their, and, um, how, how they've been able to cope with things um, because of that. Mm. Dr. Lipkin, do you have anything to add? No, I also just want to give her a big hug. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's hard, but I think that there are a lot of precautions in place that, you know, that can protect you. And, um, and thank you for being a teacher. You guys are my heroes. I have two elementary school kids and definitely talk to your doctor about your you know, everything that's going on. Um, if a vaccine becomes available for you, especially if you're in the classroom, I think that um, talk to your doctor and that's something I would consider. There are a lot of fears about, you know, infertility and the vaccine and COVID. And some of our colleagues at Yale have actually looked into that. They looked at, um, you know, there's a lot of internet rumors about antibodies against um, the placenta. And they looked at um, the placenta and found that there's no connection between the people that people are, the um, antibody that people are afraid of and the placenta, and they publish that information. So that's been very reassuring to tell people, um, you know, about that. So I'm sorry, but I'm happy for you that you're pregnant. It's supposed to be a joyous time, so we hope, Dana, that uh, your pregnancy, yeah. um, the, the stress, it gets a little bit lighter for you with that support that um, you mentioned and having uh, friends and, and coworkers uh, to lean on as well. Uh, we did talk about postpartum uh, depression, and Marie's calling in from East Windsor. Marie, you had a resource for our listeners. Yes, I'm here. Yes, go ahead, Marie. Yes, yeah, so I just wanted to let your listeners know that uh, there are some resources out there for um, expectant and new parents. Um, I'm a member of the Connecticut chapter of Postpartum Support International, 
and we have resources available online for uh, expectant and new parents. Uh, we have support groups that are running all around the state. They're all running virtually via Zoom right now. Um, and additionally, uh, we have support uh, coordinators who can be reached by phone, by text, or by email to help you um, connect with resources that you might be needing in this time. It's, it's a very difficult time for new and expectant parents. Um, postpartum mood disorders affect one in seven, um, and now those numbers are increasing with COVID. So I just want to make sure you know that there are resources out there that can kind of help you get through this very, very difficult time. Well, thank you, Marie, uh, for calling in today on Where We Live. You can join us too, 888-720-9677. Uh, we heard from a listener on, on Twitter who writes, if the pandemic has shown us anything, it's that home birth should be an insurance-covered option for more mothers and families. But our state's only insurance-covered home birth practice recently closed. I'm wondering if you both could weigh in on the option of home birth. We've heard in the pandemic that people have um, put aside their routine checkups, whether they're pregnant or not, uh, any um, health issue or routine uh, doctor visits. And that can cause some serious consequences later when you're not getting that care, Dr. Lipkind. Um. In terms of home birth, I think that um, it's important that women are the right candidate for a home birth and are attended by someone who is um, certified and appropriate to take care of a woman at home. Um, so I, you know, I do really worry about people not going to the doctor because they're afraid of COVID. And one of the positives I would say about telehealth is, you know, sometimes women don't come in in general and we're able to reach a lot more women in the phone. And I wonder if this may change care to make it easier for women in some ways, especially in the postpartum period. Mm -hmm. um, you know, coming into the office with a newborn when you have other kids at home is sometimes difficult. And some of our patients have really expressed that they appreciate being able to have their visits via telehealth. It makes life a lot easier. We have a lot more compliance. Sometimes, you know, by compliance, I mean, people that we actually see and talk to postpartum because a phone call is sometimes significantly easier for women. Um, but in terms of home birth, I just think, you know, you want to be the correct person to do that in terms of your risk. And it's worth having a conversation with providers about that. Dr. Miriam, have you seen more interest from uh, women and their partners about home births, especially in the pandemic? Um, I, I think that um, this is something that's been talked about. Um, but again, because of the, the population that Dr. Lipkind and I care for, um, we, we do see women um, on the more complicated side of, of things in terms of pregnancy. And so um, it, it's not a lot of what's been happening in discussion with our patients, but I know it's been in discussion in other offices. Um, and, and I just echo what Dr. Lipkin said is that it, it really warrants a conversation um, about, you know, kind of what risk you carry coming into pregnancy if the pregnancy has changed your risk at all and, and who will be attending that birth and what the potential plan is if things are to, were to not um, go as planned. I want to thank you both for your time today on the show. Dr. Audrey Miriam, an OBGYN and assistant professor in maternal fetal medicine at Yale, and Dr. Heather Lipkin, an obstetrician and associate professor of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive sciences at Yale. Especially thank you, Dr. Lipkin, for clearing up some of the questions around the vaccine and pregnancy. I think that's important. We appreciate both of your time. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to talk about a series that focuses on working mothers in the past year. You can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You've seen the headlines. We've talked about it on the show. A record number of women have dropped out of the workforce in the pandemic. A series from the New York Times looks at how working mothers are handling their jobs, parenting, remote school, and everything else. Joining us on Zoom is Jessica Bennett, editor-at-large at the New York Times. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you helped set up the primal scream line for women to call. Tell us about how this all came together. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we've been hearing these headlines repeatedly for months now. And, you know, women are losing disproportionate number of jobs. Working women, um, mothers, single mothers are even more disproportionately losing jobs. Um, Everyone is struggling. And, month after month after month, we were sort of hearing this, oh my God, there's no light at the end of the tunnel right now. This was, we launched this streamline in early December. So, you know, vaccines were not rolling out yet. It just felt endless. And we couldn't solve that problem for people and for ourselves, but we thought that a line that you could call and scream into or sing or cry or vent or whatever it was you wanted to do in about 60 seconds might provide a little bit of catharsis. And so we set up a Google voice line that was hosted by the DR Times and anyone could call in and just take advantage of it. And I imagine you heard from a lot of women. <laughs> we did hear from a lot of women and in fact, no trolls, which was good. Um, <laughs> And, you know, all sorts of things. There were actual literal screams, many of them. Um, There were people describing their situations and how isolated they felt. You know, they were, there were women talking about how they were hiding in their closets doing this call, (laughs) talking, you know, talking to a recorded line and like, what did that mean about their mental state? Um, And there were those who just said, like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like, I am exhausted. Mm -hmm. There's a a recent link from the Primal Scream uh, series that you and your colleagues uh, have worked on where there's uh, three women uh, that are profiled and and reading uh, the story of the Maryland mom who had uh, two children, one of them a nonverbal autistic uh, teenager, and how she was balancing it all. Can you talk a little bit about her? Yeah, so this is Dakita Brown. Um, She is a mother in Maryland, in the suburb of D.C., and She works full-time at a bank. Um, Her husband is an essential worker, so he goes to work every day. He leaves the house around 5 a.m. And she is home with her two daughters. They are 11 and 15. Um, One of them is, as you said, nonverbal autistic. She has sensory processing disorder. So she typically has an aid. And in school, she has, you know, help all the time. And so... The way Dakita describes it, you know, she from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. or whatever it is, like she is a high school freshman again while trying to manage her work. And so she literally has one earbud in her right ear 
listening in on her work conference calls and then her left ear without an earbud listening to her daughter's Zoom class. And her daughter can't speak, but she can respond. So it's a touch screen. So she really has to help her respond to things. Her other daughter is then upstairs, this is her 11-year-old, working on Zoom class on her own. And of course, the, the guilt around not being able to help her is immense. And, you know, for some, they joke that for some crazy reason in the pandemic, they decided to get a puppy. So there's puppy noises in the background. And I did that just, too. <laughs> exactly. I mean, love dogs can be incredible comfort animals. Trying to train a puppy while doing the rest of this, uh, I think has been, has been pretty challenging. And so part of the reporting process for me was having these moms send me voice memos and videos documenting their hour-to-hour time and just the sheer number of noises at all times in the background was really remarkable. Silence is something that is uh, lovely to have but not possible in so many homes, especially in the pandemic. It's It's a lot to juggle. Was there anything that you heard that was surprising or from these women about, you know, how are they managing all this and and how are their employers adjusting, if at all? Well, you know, they're all in very different situations. So we followed a single mother in a rural town in Washington state, um, Dakita, who who we spoke about, and then a married mother of a three-year-old in Temecula, California, who works in mental health. And she works part-time and the other two women work full-time. And their situations are entirely different. You know, Dakita's work has been pretty flexible. She's able to work from home. Um, it's a juggling act for sure. And I think that her mental health, she has not tended to as much as potentially she should have or could have because she's just so busy. Liz, our single mother in Washington state, works as a paralegal. And that is not an essential service, but her boss requires that she be in the office. So her son, who just turned 11, has to figure out where to go in the day. And she does not make a lot of money, so she can't afford a nanny or expensive childcare. So she's basically faced with the choice of, you know, do I show up to work and leave my kid home alone on some days? He's like almost to the age where he can be home alone, but not quite. And who's gonna help him with school? Or do I tell my boss that I have to work from home and and risk my job? Or do I send him to the Boys and Girls Club and and risk him getting sick? So it's these are impossible choices that parents should not be having to make, and yet they are. You're hearing Jessica Bennett here on Zoom. She's editor-at-large at the New York Times. We're talking about the Primal Scream series, looking at uh, how working mothers are, are handling uh, these new challenges in the pandemic. Uh, they ha- they set up a, a line for women to call to talk about uh, their... Uh, their uh, experiences, but also to scream uh, on occasion. Uh, and it must have been um, something to, to to be able to hear from all of these working moms and, and some of the, the similar experiences, uh, Jessica. One thing that was really striking to me uh, in this latest profile that I mentioned of these three women, you know, they, they're, they're handling, they're figuring out a way to juggle work and school and the relationship 
with their spouses and some have more help than others. But so many of these women, it seems, are also putting aside uh, their uh, mental health needs, even their regular checkups. I think Takeda said she's overdue for a mammogram and a follow-up with her gynecologist. This is problematic. Yes. You know, they're trying to stay afloat. (laughs) And they're doing everything in their power to do that. But often, I think for many parents, that means putting themselves last. And so in many cases, over and over again, these women are putting themselves last. Everyone comes before them. They're keeping their families together. They're keeping the trains running. They're providing food. And in many cases, they're also the breadwinners in their homes. And so you know, it's an impossible situation. And and that's why we called this the primal scream, this project, because it felt like we were reaching that point where people were just at the end of their rope. Do you feel like this moment in time will mean actual change in this country? I mean, the, the system in place before the pandemic uh, wasn't always the, the supportive for families. And now you're seeing so many people at a breaking point. Again, so many women dropping out of the workforce. Do these women feel like by sharing their story that that something can happen, policymakers can respond and even employers giving more support when needed? I mean, that would be the hope. I think if nothing else, <laughs> this pandemic has showed us just how little support there is for working parents. Like this was a problem before, but we might not have have recognized it. And the sheer number of people who rely on school as a childcare option. And when that goes away, they are left completely scrambling. So the cracks in the system have been exposed. And I think it's up to you know, policymakers in many cases to try to fix them or to try to provide alternatives. There are some companies that are doing really good things and offering flexible time off or, you know, if a person needs to take a leave of absence, they're holding their jobs or paying them at part time, allowing them to work from home, you know, if they must come to the office providing PPP. But there are many employers who are not. And, you know, we live in a country where these types of decisions about children are often seen as individual. It's not a structural problem for society to help with. It's your problem. You decided to do it. And I think that's where a lot of parents have been left dry right now. They are on their own with no support. The Primal Scream line, is it still open, Jessica? It's still open. It's 212. Three, two, eight. Oh, no, wait, that's the wrong number. That's my phone number. I won't give you my phone number. Two, one, two, five, five, six, three, eight, zero, zero. You can call it. You can scream. You can cry. Tell us how you're feeling and how you're coping. Well, it's definitely an interesting series that is important to have. I found it interesting, too, that, Jessica, you're not a mom, but you're helping focus uh, people's attentions on this very real challenge for many working families. Yeah, it's certainly been eye-opening. And, you know, I've joked that I was following these three mothers for six months and we were in contact at all times. And were I doing what they are doing, trying to manage work and childcare and schooling and a relationship, I don't know that I actually would have had time to get the story that I wanted to get. So I think in, in some ways it was a benefit that I don't currently have children. Jessica Bennett, again, is editor-at-large at at the New York Times. We appreciate it, Jessica. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me.
And again, this is where we live. Uh, today's show produced by Tess Terrible. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to hear from Republican Kevin Kelly, the new Senate Minority Leader in the Connecticut General Assembly. And you can join us for that conversation as well. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.